You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, First Universalist. Hey! (laughs) Um, Please stand and join me in singing our opening hymn, which is Circle Round for Freedom, number 155 in the gray hymnal. So the melody goes like this, and sing it if you know it. Circle round for freedom, circle round for peace, for all of us in prison, circle for release, circle for If you want to sing above it, you can sing something like this. Now, I'm going to go on record as not being a great sight reader. (laughs) And so you're off the hook for singing the notes on the page. (laughs) Sing whatever feels good and sounds like it blends with whatever everyone else is singing. Even if you're not singing what I'm singing and you're not singing what anyone else is singing, sing and feel it in your body because it's medicine, right? Okay, so an, a higher part might go like this. So everybody keep singing the melody, and I'll sing the higher part, and we'll see what that sounds like. <laughs> My version. There's one more option for the lower voices. So if you want to sing above the melody, do that now. If you want to sing the melody, also do that, and then I'll give you the option or a version of a lower part. (laughs) Here we go. Circle around for freedom. Circle for release, circle 
Okay, that was the tutorial. <laughs> now we're going to sing it through. Sing whatever part you like. And if you feel like improvising, woo go on ahead and do that too. <laughs> it's your world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feel I'm sweating <laughs> ah, good. okay we're all still alive <laughs> um, now we're gonna sing wo ya ya which is number 1020 in the teal hymnal can we pick it up just a little bit
Good morning. It is so good to be with you all, to see you here in person, for everybody joining us online, for folks joining us later. It is so good to be together. I have to admit that there was a General Assembly a gathering several years ago of Unitarian Universalists from around the world, and we were singing Wo Ya Ya together, and I turned to one of my theology school colleagues and said, I hate this song. <laughs> What are we talking about? We don't know where we're going. We don't know why. We're supposed to be something on purpose. And I will say that I have grown to love the song over time because I think part of the point is we are in it together. We are always discerning where we are going, what we are about, how we will be together, and we are in it together. So welcome to this time and place we set aside for connection, for deepening in our spiritual lives, for singing and story, for community building. Welcome to this sacred time and space. Welcome exactly who you are, as you are. Each of us welcome and wanted, whole and holy and worthy as we decide together again and again where we are going and how. If you are new to this community, extra special welcome to you. We are so glad you're here. We hope that you will meet some folks along the way. Join us, everyone. If you'd like, after the service, there'll be bagels and fruit and a special cake that is very cool to celebrate a special someone after the service down in the tent. And we will regather up here for our annual meeting. This is an opportunity to do some of the work of the church that we do together to celebrate the outgoing leaders, to elect new ones, to hear updates about the mission and ministries of the church, including our financial updates, and to approve next year's operating budget. So if you are a member of the church, please come and vote for that. If you are a friend or someone new, come and just listen in and learn about how we do our work together. Now, maybe you are someone who is here longing for something new, some deeper spiritual engagement, some opportunity to be with another group of folks who are deeply engaging the spiritual themes of our worship life. Maybe you are ready to take a risk and become a worship associate next year to learn and grow yourself and to serve the community in this way. The application process is open until June 14th. I hope that some of you, maybe who don't think this could be your thing, might try it. So please, we build our community together. We build our worship life together. Your voice, your presence is wanted and needed. As we settle into this time together, I invite us, if you like, to settle into your body a way to arrive fully here, wherever that is for you. For me, I am planting my feet on the floor. I am taking a moment to relax my body. And I am breathing on purpose. I invite you to do the same. 
To light our chalice this morning, I would like to invite a kiddo who has been trained to be a chalice lighter. Who, would anyone like to be our special lighter this morning? <gasps> Nobody? <gasps> oh, wait, that's Oh, one of my coming of age youth. Oh, no. That's okay. We need consent. We need consent. Oh, no. It's okay. A no is fine. A no is a complete sentence. That's okay. Reverend Jen will do it. Oh, Glenn. Glenn Thomas. Yay. <laughs> Children of all ages. (laughs) All right, please join me in our opening words. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to speak the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning. My name is Ashley. I'm one of the ministers among you all. I have a question. Why might I be wearing rainbow stoles? Woohoo! <laughs> Say it again. Pride! Yes! What's pride? What's it about? What does it mean to you? A riot. A brick? I heard a brick, a riot. What? What I have. Free to be you and me. Standing up to bullies. Mm. Courage. Heaven knows how people get there, but we know we will. Amen. <laughs> Love. And awakening. An awakening. Fantastic Ah. <laughs> Woman. Anything else? Inclusion. So I came across this quote from an activist named Raquel Willis. She's a pretty badass trans woman, activist, woman of color. And she said this, pride for the transestors, pride for the current generation, Pride for the transcendence. Amen, right? Yes, thank you. I like the applause. So we're going to start with the story of the transestors today. And the story, I just have to preface this. There are not a lot of stories for all ages about Stonewall. So my challenge is for someone to write another one by next year, this time of year, (laughs) one of you. But this is a story of Stonewall, which is one of the places among many that the movement came alive that we call Pride today. And Pride Month actually commemorates the events that happened at Stonewall at the end of June in 1969. So let me read you a little story about our ancestors, Martha, Marcia, and Stormy, Sylvia. They're not named in this book, but they should be. 
So, Stonewall, a building, an uprising, a revolution. Two stable houses side by side. I should say this book is told from the story of the actual building. For more than 100 years, we witnessed history. Then came a night when we became part of history. We were built in the 1840s to board the horses of the affluent in New York City's Greenwich Village. Inside our brick walls, horses whinnied and hammers clanged. Outside, passerby bustled as carriages rumbled on the cobblestones. As time passed, the wealthy residents began to move uptown, taking with them their art clubs, libraries, fine hotels, and theaters. Our neighborhood became a mecca for immigrants arriving from around the world. Visitors made their way to Greenwich Village. Many of them stayed. Greenwich Village was changing, and we changed too. The smell of freshly baked bread began to waft out our windows and into the neighborhood. The roar of automobiles replaced the rumble of carriages as artists and writers moved in. Contemporary art galleries, experimental theaters, and small restaurants sprang up around us. The village was becoming the creative center of New York City. By 1930, our two buildings were joined together and we became Bonnie's Stonewall Restaurant. Celebrities, artisans, tourists, and local residents lunched at our tables, shoulders to shoulders. Greenwich Village was a place where you could be yourself and where being different was welcomed and accepted. Newness thumped in the heart of Greenwich Village in the 1950s, vibrating our windows. Musicians played on the streets, jazz filled the air. Poets performed in restaurants, artists painted in their studios. The beat movement arrived and we witnessed it all. Leading up to the 1960s, our neighborhood welcomed gays and lesbians, men who loved men and women who loved women. We were a home for people who were told they didn't fit in or belong. We had welcomed all kinds of people before, so we knew what to do. In 1967, we swung open our doors and became the Stonewall Inn. Gay men and women from throughout the city and the country came to meet old and new friends, free to be themselves inside our walls. Women and men, young and old, teenagers, transgender people, drag queens, veterans, business people, students, people of all different colors, religions, and cultures gathered, chatted, laughed, and danced under our roof. Others were not as accepting. They thought those who gathered within our walls were too different. We heard the whispered voices of those inside. Loving someone like yourself was illegal. Socializing together could get you arrested. Wearing the wrong clothes could land you in jail. Being gay could get you fired or kicked out of your home. Some nights we heard fists pounding on our doors, felt angry footsteps stomping across our floor, and saw flashes of glaring light as the police arrested some of those inside. After each raid, those who hadn't been arrested left quietly, angrily, 
disappearing into the darkness. We stood tall and kept opening our doors, and the people kept coming. But the police raids kept coming too. We couldn't stop them. In the steaming early morning hours of June 28, 1969, under a nearly full moon, another raid began. Police, a voice shouted. We're taking the place. Officers stormed through our doors, lining up the people inside, demanding IDs, detaining some, arresting others. This time, those not arrested didn't disappear into the night. Instead, they stood defiantly in the street and on the sidewalk under our rusty sign. This time, they weren't quiet. As the ones arrested were led to the police cars and the patrol wagons, the anger of the growing crowd was lit. Why don't you do something, yelled one woman as she was forced into a police car. Immediately, the spark of anger grew into a smoldering resistance. Shouts and screams echoed off bricks, fists thrust in the air. We saw the faces of the crowd and felt their rage. The Stonewall Uprising had begun. The police, shocked by the defiance of the crowd, rushed back in and barricaded themselves inside. Our friends stood outside, trying to force open our doors. Our windows were shattered. Smoke drifted through our rooms. We stood firm. Years of silent anger inflamed the crowd. The police called for help, and soon it arrived. The fires were extinguished. The police came back outside. But the crowd's anger was not extinguished. Yay power, the protesters shouted. We want freedom. The police had never seen anything like it before, and neither had we. And it wasn't over. The Stonewall Uprising continued on and off for several days and nights. New day was dawning for the gay rights movement. The change had begun here, inside our walls, inside the Stonewall Inn. On June 28, 1970, our windows looked out on people gathering to celebrate the first anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. At first, hundreds marched. Then thousands of women and men, young and old, teenagers and transgender people, drag queens, veterans, business people, students, people of different colors, religions and cultures, and their friends and families joined to parade through the streets of New York City. Say it clear, say it loud. Gay is good, gay is proud, they chanted. Many things are different now. Some things have changed. Even some laws have changed. Now two men who love each other or two women who love each other can marry. We know. We've seen their happy faces snapping photos outside our door. We've heard their footsteps walking side by side along our floors. We felt their love. Each year in June, People all over the world celebrate the movement for LGBTQA plus rights, 
a movement that has come so far, a movement that still has further to go. They celebrate inside and outside our walls. They celebrate freedom. They celebrate equality. It all began one night here at the Stonewall, Stonewall Inn when two horse stables became a part of history. Pride for our ancestors. Pride for the current generation. Pride for the transcendence. May it be so. Uh, so um, our next hymn is Make Channels for the Stream of Love, which is number 299 in the gray hymnal. Please stand and join me in singing it. I just love how the words express how love is inexhaustible, but we are responsible for circulating it. And when we don't do our part to spread love, then we cease to receive love. I invite you now to settle even deeper into your body, into this moment. Please join me in a cycle of song, silence, and meditation. Focus your attention on the parts of the body which are closest to the earth. Scan your attention slowly upwards.
Focus your attention in the center of the body, where air becomes breath, where what is not you becomes you, where the line between blurs in a flow without ceasing. Scan your attention slowly upwards. Focus your attention at the top of the body, where feeling becomes thought and thought becomes action. Now that we are present in our bodies and in this beautiful moment, let us hold our attention in loving openness to embrace the joys and sorrows of our community and our world. In the wider world, our hearts break as we witness the wildfires in Canada which have displaced tens of thousands of people, burned so much forest, and choked the continent in smoke. Though we in Minneapolis were fortunate to only have a whiff, we know that we are connected by the very air we breathe to those who face the flames. Together, we hope and work to build a world where the earth and every being can flourish into their fullest selves, where people of any sexual and gender identity can be as flamboyant or humdrum as their heart desires. <laughs> Listen, some of us are couch potatoes, okay? All right. <laughs> and proud. <laughs> where everyone has the freedom to have children, to not have children, 
and to raise those children in peace and safety. Where people can migrate across shared and respected lands like our ancestors, like the monarch butterfly. Where freedom is not a longed for ideal, but a flowering park where all may rest and play. May it be so. the place in which generosity grows. When we did that scan, where in your body does it come from? Where does love reach outward from you to create justice together? For me, it's somewhere around here in my chest. It's the part of me that can't help but hug my children. I am the cuddle mama of the household. It's that same part of me that wants to reach out to remind each other that we are a collective body. We are a beloved community. We all do better when we all do better. This is the time we get to practice that spiritual workout concretely. We give boldly, we give flamboyantly, we give humdrumly. <laughs> we give in whatever way is authentic to this community now. Our offering this morning goes to this beloved community. And if this is a week where you need to practice the equally important spiritual workout of receiving, of receiving care and support and resources, I invite you to please reach out to me, ashley at firstuniv.org, and we will offer you our collective resources. Let us receive our morning offering now. Thank you. 
The Wisdom of Marge Piercy. What can they do to you? Whatever they want. They can set you up, they can bust you, they can break your fingers, they can burn your brain with electricity, blur you with drugs till you can't walk, can't remember. They can take your child, wall up your lover. They can do anything you can't stop them from doing. How can you stop them? Alone, you can fight. You can refuse. You can take what revenge you can, but they roll over you. But two people fighting. Two people fighting back to back can cut through a mob. A snake dancing file can break a cordon. An army can meet an army. Two people can keep each other sane, can give support, conviction, love, massage, hope, sex. Three people are a delegation, a committee, a wedge. With four, you can play bridge. <laughs> and start an organization. With six, you can rent a whole house, eat pie for dinner with no seconds, and hold a fundraising party. A dozen make a demonstration. A hundred fill a hall. A thousand have solidarity and your own newsletter. <laughs> 10,000 power and your own paper. A hundred thousand your own media. 10 million your own country. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again and they said no. It starts when you say we, and know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. Is this the temptation? <laughs> I wish 
I've been remembering often these days the day I arrived at college. I've been remembering in particular showing up, hauling my boombox and my box of mixtapes of Grateful Dead because that was what I was very into. My mom and I were hauling those boxes up the stairs and we arrived and I don't know if this is still how it is but at Smith College in 1991, people decorated their doors with postcards and pictures and all kinds of things to let you know where they stood on things. When we arrived, there I was, not fully out to myself as queer, certainly not out to my parents, and the woman across the hall from me just happened to be the president of the LBA the Lesbian Bisexual Alliance, which was impressive inclusion then in 1991. And on her door, she had photos of two women kissing, rainbow colors, and all kinds of political quotes. It made for some uncomfortable movement for my mother and I as we moved back and forth. But in the end, it wasn't the photo of two women kissing that made the biggest impression on me over time. It was actually a quote from the German pastor, Martin Niemöller. Maybe I always was going to be a minister. <laughs> Martin Niemöller, like I said, was a German Lutheran pastor who had originally, in the 1930s, sided with the Nazi party. He ultimately changed his affiliation and his beliefs and spent years in concentration camps for vocally opposing the Nazi party. And after the war, he spoke frequently, naming his initial complicity in the devastating genocide that he had initially supported. The content of his words changed depending on who he was speaking with. But the quote that I remember that was on the door right across from me that whole first year went like this. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, 
and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Remembering this quote, it sparks imagination for me. I imagine a whole town, a whole village, a whole country, where first one group is taken away, then another and another. That circle of who is present, protected, there in that town, that village, that country, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The circle of freedom shrinking until ultimately it closes in on itself. The circle of freedom shrinking. A colleague of mine, the Reverend Mark Morrison Reed, author of the book Black Pioneers in a White Denomination, speaking about Unitarian Universalism. I'm told he used to show an image when he was talking about what freedom meant and how it meant different things for different people based on their identities and life experiences. The image I am told he would show looked like this. On one side, there would be an image of an enslaved African in chains being brutalized by a white man. On the other side of that picture, there would be a white man standing at a podium. And the question was, what does freedom mean? What does freedom mean when you have a different identity or life experience? What are we talking about when we talk about freedom? I have to tell you, as we engage in this conversation about freedom today, I'm going to lay my cards right out on the table. The definition of what freedom means for me, what I am talking about, is freedom to exist, freedom to live, freedom to move, freedom to determine what happens to our own bodies. I'm talking about the freedom to go to the grocery store without being beaten or harassed or killed. I'm talking about black boys being able to move with ease. I am talking about a world where our queer and disabled and trans and BIPOC siblings find systems and structures set up for their success. I'm talking about the freedom to name who you are, to love who you love, to speak the language that is yours, to learn the history of all of us, to care for our children, to practice the religion that brings you life, the ability to breathe clean air and drink clean water. That is the freedom I am talking about today. I am not talking about that place where liberalism on one side and conservatism on the other sometimes meets in the middle and says that freedom is all about being able to say what I want whenever I want. I am talking about the freedom to live, to exist. In my mind and heart and in my Unitarian Universalist faith, my individual freedom extends exactly to the limit where my words and my actions are causing harm or limiting the lives of others. It's at that point, right? That point where my actions and my words cause harm, where my wants exceed my needs and I am taking what someone else's needs, that is the limit of my freedom. I know this is not what others in our country or maybe even in this room define as freedom, 
But for me, I need to be very clear. Just like my God is not the God of the Missouri Synod Lutherans or the Episcopal Church that I grew up in, my conception of freedom is not the freedom of the Proud Boys or the NRA or those who claim freedom of speech over and above the care of individuals being harmed or the greater community. For me, there are limits to individual freedom that I not only accept but embrace. I welcome this practice of communal responsibility and accountability as a life-giving spiritual practice. This moment we are in in our country, this moment we're in in our world, requires more of us than how we have been. The circle of freedom, that circle of who is in it, right? Who has bodily autonomy, the right to exist. That circle was never fully open here in the United States to begin with. And I believe it has been shrinking over time. We've seen over the years the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. We've seen the rollback of Roe versus Wade, the rising tides of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, the continued brutalization of black and brown bodies by police, the intentional attack on trans lives and our queer siblings, the elimination of black history in our classrooms. All of this and more tells me that we are in a time when that circle of freedom of who is allowed to exist and how is shrinking again. The Unitarian minister and theologian James Luther Adams spoke directly to the potential weakness of our faith in times of crisis like this. In 1935, he traveled to Germany wanting to study the liberal German theologians that had provided the jumping off point for transcendentalism. But he found himself there squarely in the midst of the rising tide of Nazism. He found himself squarely in the middle of the impotence of liberal religion. Arriving home to the United States, he wrote this. Let me put it autobiographically and say that in Nazi Germany, I soon came to this question. What is it in my preaching and my political action that would stop this? It is a liberal attitude, he wrote. It's a liberal attitude to say that we keep ourselves informed and read the best papers on these matters and perhaps join a voluntary association now and then, but to be involved with other people so that it costs and so that one exposes the evils of society. It requires something like conversion something more than an attitude. It requires a sense that there's something wrong and I must be different from the way I have been. Anchored in this experience, in these questions, Adams went on to write and preach and teach about what conversion could mean in Unitarianism. What would it mean to be radically changed? And I'll tell you, it's more than just showing up occasionally on Sundays. He said, the aim of religious awareness, of religious faith, religious community, and religious life must be radical change. Radical change. Transformation, conversion, he would say, from the root images and metaphors buried deep in our society. Images like rugged individualism, solitary success, and life goals that include accumulation rather than cooperation. It requires a conversion away from all of the attitudes and practices of white supremacy culture, a conversion to 
the defiant hope of collective liberation. Adams talked about this as an authentic faith, an examined faith, a faith that could be powerful enough to fuel and fire us in the most difficult of times. Authentic faith, examined, self-critical faith, something that leads us to constantly examine and imagine how are we doing? How are we doing lining up our commitments, our actions, our words with our highest ideals? How are we doing with that? And how might we do better? George Kimmich Beach, who studied Adam's life and theology, put it this way. An authentic faith is rooted in a person's awareness that they are not God, that their perception is always limited, that their commitments, that their commitments will always need correction and redirection. This kind of faith, this kind of authentic faith, it can move us from I to we. It can fuel us to do great things. It can strengthen us as we try and try again to really live into our values, to really live into the lofty and simple demand of our faith that says each and every one is whole and holy and worthy, welcome and wanted. To draw that circle of freedom and who is included wider and wider still. I find my imagination going to the story of our country, that circle of freedom shrinking, expanding, shrinking, expanding. I imagine our own individual lives, our own experiences of bodily autonomy, of loving who we love, of knowing who we are and being able to live it out, shrinking and expanding and shrinking and expanding. I imagine the life of our congregation, the circle of who is welcome, shrinking, expanding, shrinking, expanding. I imagine the poetic, the beautiful words that we have said together over the years, that this is a place where our sense of who we are is ever expanding. I remember our gathering last week, the 100th celebration of the Flower Communion, when we placed ourselves in the long line of Unitarian Universalists who claim, even at the pain of death, that each and every one of us is worthy of dignity, that our individual lives are essential and elemental to the larger whole, that we are, in fact, responsible for each other. I remember the words of John Cummins, beloved minister emeritus of this congregation. I remember his often quoted sermon titled, Why I Am a Unitarian Universalist, in which he said this. I am a Unitarian Universalist because there is absolutely no evidence of a hereafter, nor for that matter, matter is there any evidence of a heretofore. A short time ago, I did not exist. A short time hence, I shall not exist. I am a prisoner of light, a prisoner of these moments, limited inexorably to those few golden moments of awareness in which I have been somehow, somehow thrown up out of eternity. I am a Unitarian Universalist because I believe there is no eternal life outside of this prison, and if there were, I would wish for no salvation for myself, 
unless or until I could take all other men of earth with me. There is no salvation to wish for that is for ourselves alone. No real freedom if it is for one and not for all. This is true in our country, in our congregation, in our individual lives, in our world. The civil rights leader, Fannie Lou Hamer, named this truth repeatedly in even clearer terms. Nobody's free until everybody's free, she'd say. Nobody's free until everybody's free, she'd say. Now, Fannie Lou Hamer had her own conversion experience, I would say. Born on October 6, 1917, the 20th child of sharecropper parents and then a sharecropper with her husband herself. She had an experience that drew her right into the center of the civil rights movement. At a local church, folks were gathering to talk about registering black folks to vote. She joined in and joined in the effort. She was arrested. She was brutally beaten. She lost her job, her place to live. But do you know what she had? She had an ability to lead songs. She had an ability to tell her story. She had an ability to speak in public settings that drew people in. She had a commitment to sharing what life was really like for black people in the South. And she did it. She did it over and over again. And in 1971, there she was at the National Women's Political Caucus in Washington. And just as it had been true for generations before, there was a lot of arguing going on. Whose rights should come first? How should we do this? We should strategize, prioritize. Some people should go first and some should go second. And you know who always goes second. But she called the body to unity. She said this, now we've got some changes to make in our country. And not only changes for the black man and not only changes for the black woman, but the changes we have to have in this country are going to be for the liberation of all people because nobody's free until everybody's free. If women could join forces, she said, with other women, then they could change America for the better because they would be, in her words, one hell of a majority. <laughs> if we were able to join together across difference, we would be one hell of a majority. You might be asking yourself what this means in this moment, in this time, at this church. What does our authentic, examined faith, our Unitarian Universalist faith, call us to be and to do right now? While, of course, each of us will answer that question in the reflective chambers of our own hearts and minds and spirits, there are a few things I know for sure. We are called into community, into beloved community, connecting across difference and stretching that circle of whose lives are free, whose lives are present, whose lives are protected. We are called to stretch that circle of community. We are called to heal our divisions to put aside our pettiness, to welcome in self and communal reflection and direction and care and critique. We are called to be in accountable relationship with each other and the broader community and to create here, to create here a place of authentic and examined faith, of defiant hope and shared practice. We are called to imagine and create, to forgive and begin again. We are called to do this again and again. 
We are called to action in our country and our communities, naming, as Niemöller did, our complicity when it occurs, turning our hearts as Adams implored to transformation, refusing, as Cummins did, any salvation that does not include each and all, and becoming the one hell of a majority we could be if we could work together, recognizing that nobody is free until everybody is free. May it be so. Amen. It's 1035 in the Teal Hymnal. Please join me in singing, Freedom is Coming. <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> Would you play the melody for me, Franco, please? Oh, if you know it, sing it. <laughs> favorite part of the song. <laughs> if you all would sing, what, help me. <laughs> that, sing that. Freedom is coming, freedom is coming, oh yes, I know. Hit that. Freedom is coming, freedom is coming, freedom is coming, oh yes, I know. Okay, we can go back to the melody and add that lower voice in. Here we go. prepared as I want it to be. Thank you. You all are so generous. This is what imperfection looks like. Be yourself. <laughs> Tell you, freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. I invite you after the service, if you're here in person, to nourish yourself, to join us under the tent outside for food, for space-themed cake, to celebrate the completion of Laurie's internship here with us. 
We're grateful for the work you've done, your ministry and presence here with us this year, and we are grateful that you are going on to serve in Tennessee at the Foothills Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. Yes, your presence is needed and wanted. May the work of our faith be to ever expand that circle of freedom until it finally includes each and all. May this be our commitment, our action, and our prayer. Amen. And let's sing our way through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. If you find spiritual sustenance from this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. If you're able to join us in person or online for Sunday worship, we'd love to welcome you. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.